Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, episode 240. How to introduce hobby games to children. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Games Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. I know this is in the spreadsheet, but have we gone so far... Have we converted so many different types of people that we're now after the children, Anthony, the children? Well, I mean, the parents of those children. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we already got the parents of the children. We already did. Well, now we're helping those parents. We're we're helping them out. We're going to convert their own children. (laughs) It's not enough to have the parents. We got to get the kids into gaming, too. Ah, the tragedy of it all. Kids playing board games. What's next? What has the world come to? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot worse things kids could do or think <laughs> in the world it's, in general. Yeah, it's this is good. This is good. This is good for them. <laughs> well, it's that ongoing meme. I think I think it's based around Magic the Gathering, but it's obviously apropos for board games or card games or anything else. It's like you know, get them involved in this hobby and they'll never have money for drugs. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so is that the strategy with your children, getting them involved in all the geeky stuff possible this way? They never get into trouble? Ugh, yeah, sure. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> your, your kids are going to have to sit through this episode. Right. Our feature review will be how to introduce hobby games to children. And Anthony, we had one of our Patreon backers suggest this episode, correct? Yep. Yeah, I put this in the Slack group. I asked everybody, like, what do you want us to talk about? And Drew mentioned this one. And thank you, Drew. I know you have uh, small children of your own. Uh, You actually won a contest not too long ago, My Little Scythe, and uh, sent a photo in of him and his daughter playing the game, which I have done myself with almost the same age child. So (laughs) it was kind of a cool thing. And I figured this would be a good episode for that. Wait, so we're not supposed to own My Little Scythe if we don't have children? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, nuts. I I gotta unload a game really quickly. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah. So if you would like to guide the unending future of BGA and of our future views, please jump on to patreon.com backslash BGA and let us know what you would like to see because what you want is what we want to be able to produce for you each and every week. And thanks to everyone for getting involved so anthony again there is tremendous stuff going on with bga and of course with our patreon account because we do something a little different with our patreon and that's one of many big things that we have to talk about this week yeah yeah so we 
have a very special Patreon where we give away a game almost every week. Uh, September has, you know, just a way the days fall. We don't have a contest for you this week because we have a contest for everybody, which I'll talk about in a second. But almost every week we give away a board game on the Patreon. And it's, you know, lots of different fun ways to enter. You can do a scavenger hunt, send in a photograph, answer some questions, whatever it might be. Uh, I get to rack my brain every Thursday and try to think of something new and exciting for you. And so you can kind of tell how my week's going by how new and how exciting <laughs> the contest is. But we do do these every week. It's a lot of fun. I do want to mention, too, because some people have asked about this. Uh, a few people actually in the Slack group ask about this. And everybody who gets all of the answers correct, we will pick one of them and they will be the winner. So uh, we kind of kicked this off. And when we switched over to the the actual contest where you had to do stuff due to patreon's you know conditions we actually switched it over and we had like the first person to get it wins and we found pretty quickly that there's a small number of people who can actually hop on right away on thursday and do that so we're you know we switched it up a little bit to make sure it's fair for everybody and gives you four days basically from thursday to monday to enter at any time whenever you want and you know if you happen to answer everything correctly then you will be entered and you will be one of a few people who could possibly win. So we're doing that every week. Make sure you hop on to Patreon. Any level backer, you are eligible to win. And you'll get an email every Thursday when that goes up. And you are able to hop on and uh, enter. All right. And so I mentioned we had another contest. And when this podcast comes out, it's only up for like another day or so. But we are giving away a copy of City of the Big Shoulders. We reviewed that last week. Uh, I loved it. And uh, we're giving away a copy. So all you have to do is enter with some form of contact information. There's like five different ways to enter. So if the more of them you do, the more entries you get, but don't have to fill out any forms, don't have to do anything fancy, you don't have to submit any photos, just hop in there, tell us who you are, and you'll be entered for a chance to win. And uh, we'll announce the winner on next week's episode. All right. So if you want to learn more about all the great contests that BJ is having, please check out our endless numbers of social media. Everything's up there, not to mention BoardGamersAnonymous.com. And a big thanks to everyone out there who rates us and writes a review about the podcast on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube or just shares the podcast with other people. We want to get more people into gaming. Obviously, we're after the children now. And then eventually we're going to run out of people. So if there's someone in your life that you would love to get into board gaming, this is the time and this is the podcast. Get onto their phone, get into their stuff, and just let them know and connect them to BGA. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with us. Let's get on to our listeners. What do they have to say this week? What's our question of the week? All right, yeah, so I asked everybody uh, a couple weeks back, what is your most anticipated game coming out the rest of the year? And the reason I ask this is a lot of people ask me personally, knowing that I do the podcast and play a lot of different stuff, what games I'm looking forward to next. And this is kind of a ongoing cyclical question that I get all the time. So it's, what are you looking forward to next month? And then the month after that, and then the month after that. And by the nature of the podcast, I usually have an answer, but I thought it'd be fun to share some of everybody else's answers for, you know, out through the rest of the year. Uh, so the a lot of different answers here uh some of these are games that have already come out or just now getting out i had a couple different people mention the uh new expansions for star trek ascendancy which i think it's funny because those things were just always delayed <laughs> i think it's the vulcans and the andorians uh people are still waiting Ooh. on yeah <laughs> you as well apparently <laughs> i am there's a few games on here that were available in uh gen con uh, some other Kickstarters, uh, some Kickstarters I'm personally waiting on as well, like the Tricarion Collector's Edition, which is supposedly going to ship this week. So I'm so excited. I know it's going to be this big, heavy box. It's going to be great. <laughs> like it's uh, it's hard enough to get regular Tricarion to the table. Like I was literally last week, we were looking to pick out games and I'm like, oh man, Tricarion. And then all of a sudden I got really exhausted thinking about setting it up. And then we yeah. didn't fight it. <laughs> I know. And you have the insert too. I'm just going to have like a, I guess it have the game trays in it now, but still it's just a box full of stuff. <laughs> it's a box full of stuff and it's, it's long and arbitrous and it's, it's very fiddly, but it really is a very, very good game. 
And hopefully the expansion brings more to it without crushing what little table space I have left. Yes, 100%. We have a couple people mentioned Snowdonia, the master set, the deluxe master set, which mm-hmm. I think most people have that now if they backed it. Like my copy finally showed up this last weekend. I have not played it yet, but very excited to do so. A couple people mentioned, like I said, games from out of Gen Con, Point Salad, still hasn't hit stores yet. I know a lot of people are waiting on that because it sold out really quick at Gen Con. Me too. Yep. Yep, that's a good one. Drew mentions On Mars, as well as Black Angel, which did ship, but now I think is already hard to find. So second wave of Black Angel. A lot of people are waiting on that. Nope, not Uh, even a little bit. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Uh, Dune, uh, two or three people mentioned Dune, which was supposed to have shipped by now. But again, it's Gale Force 9. So who knows when they're going to ship that, whenever they feel like it. Uh, The spice must flow, and yet... I gotta say that I'm okay with it just flowing past me because it seems like this game is not refined, so to speak. So yeah. Yeah, I know. I was really excited until I read a little bit more about it, which is it's unfortunate. You gotta uh, refine the spice, guys. You just can't have raw spice, and that's basically what this game is. It's like the way the game used to be here again, which is typically not a bad thing if you want to kind of like really push through with it. But at the same time, it's a new age. We're smarter than we were 20 years ago. Refine the game, man. You just got to refine it. That's all I'm asking for. Right. Because, look, we don't have all the time in the world to play these kind of games. And the world has changed. And we need a little help with streamlining. Streamlining! Yeah, nobody... I mean, I know Dune is a grail game, but it's also 40 years old. So just maybe make it a little bit newer. That's right? all we're asking, man. That's all. I mean, yeah. you know, cosmic domination and... Streamlining rules. That's it. Cosmic domination, streamlining rules. We'll all be happy. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so speaking of streamlining rules, my, the one I'm really looking forward to still, it's been a couple months since I played it at Gen Con, is uh, Marvel Champions, the new LCG. I really liked what I saw of it, and it's supposedly coming pretty soon. Should be out next month sometime. So uh, it'll be a new LCG that I get all the packs for and maybe play a third of them. But I'm looking forward to it. I, You know, I've recently reinvested in star wars the card game in fact it's actually staring at me just because amazon had this ridiculous sale where they were selling like some of the packs for like three bucks each and i was like hey i never get this to the table you know what i'm gonna buy more of it so i did and (laughs) lcgs are dangerous kids so while anthony does have some really great games you should play you might want to stay away from LCGs. I'm just saying, man. It's it's a dark, dark, dark road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can't even count how much of this stuff I own. Like, I have everything that's ever come out for Arkham. Yes. I played maybe 10% of it. But sure. the paranoia of not being able to get it, which is what happened with Lord of the Rings, yes. would maybe just buy it all. I remember when and Lord yet- of the Rings when it first came out and I got a chance to play the base game and I was like, I really like this. And then I remember going online and I was like, I need to buy this. And of course, at the time they had a good, I don't know, dozen expansions available for it. And I started just loading my card up and I'm like, Oh, I have like $200 worth of this game that I'm probably not going to get to because, and and that's in a good way because those LCG packs do last a long time. So it's not a bad thing, but it's certainly a challenging game. And the L and the LCG really should be, you know, lifelong game, so to speak. Yeah, I know. And it's weird too, because they just recently said that Lord of the Rings is probably going to go on hiatus for a while. They're ending probably Game of Thrones soon because they're out of content. Wow. So uh, I'm like, oh, well, I guess that'll save me some money, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know where to put where to put that money. All these cards that like lie around my house. Do you think they'll ever do some sort of crazy kind of like smash up? Oh, man, I don't think it would work, but it'd be still amazing. <laughs> well, they could do some kind of conversion, like middle of the road pack where you can kind of like use some of your Lord of the Ring characters in the Star Wars the card game that are trying to hunt down an elder god or something like that. Like, yeah, it could happen. It could be a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> I mean, they, they did it for Kemet and Cyclades, so who knows? It could be something like that. Or even more recently, they did it with Spice Road. I mean, all those three Century games kind of kind of fit together, and you can kind of play them together. So stranger things have happened. 
I guess for me, my most anticipated game of the year is something I kickstarted a while back. And typically, I've kind of shied away, at least until these games hit the retail market, just because they're a little bit on the high end, especially when it comes to the Kickstarter. And that's On Mars by Vitalis Serta. I've talked about this endlessly. You don't want to hear me talk about this again. That being said, this is the game that I'm waiting to come in. I have a lot of Kickstarters that are supposedly coming in either next week or within the next century, because you never know. Mm-hmm. But on Mars really is the game because you know what? Honestly, you want to bring something big to game night. You want to impress your friends. You want to throw down a high quality game. So yeah, that's the game I'm looking forward to. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Me too. Yes. All right. So that's everything that's going on with our listeners out there. We're so glad to have you with us. Please jump into the conversation. If you have not yet, we love to hear from you. Facebook, Twitter, just get a message to us. We don't care how you do it. You know, we just want to hear from you so that we can give back that great content that you reach out to us for each and every week. And again, thank you all for commenting and reaching out and sending emails and asking about favorite games and where you should buy games. That definitely means a lot to us. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on. Let's get into the games that we want to hit the table. What's your acquisition disorders? All right. Yeah, this one was announced a while back, but, you know, the information's kind of flowing more freely now that it's uh, almost... flowing. Yes. Uh, I yeah, see what no. you did there. I see. Yeah, that, that, that's a foreshadowing pun. I, I, I see that. Go ahead. Go ahead with the rest. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about tapestry. I'm just kidding. It's underwater cities. New discoveries. That's <laughs> uh, ruined my own pun. Ah, oh, you got um, me again. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. So. This is new content for Vladimir Suchi's Underwater Cities. It, it seems to address a lot of the issues that some people have with the game. And I really, really like this game. It was one of my favorite games of last year. But of course, there were some issues that are going to come up anytime a game gets that many plays. And while it's not 100% clear what all comes in the expansion, we do know a good amount. So there are new assistants. So you'll be able to take two and choose one. And they're a little more asymmetrical now in that they have both an action, but also kind of an ongoing ability that goes with them. So you'll start with some kind of asymmetry from everybody else, which is awesome because the original ones are all exactly the same and you never use them after the first round, pretty much. Pretty much. The other thing we have here is like starting resource tiles. So it'll kind of mix up what everybody starts with based on the tiles that you draft. That seems interesting. It's something that Terraforming Mars did with the Prelude expansion. Um, This doesn't seem to be quite that far, whereas Terraforming Mars, you get a ton of stuff, right? And it speeds up the game a little bit. This one doesn't seem to speed up the game necessarily. It just gives you like a direction to move in. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are new cards in each of the eras, which I appreciate because while you don't really go through all that many cards in the third era, you do go through almost all of them in the first era every single time. Mm -hmm. So it'll be nice to have more there to, to pull from. There are green metropolises, which don't really know what those do yet, but it's a new type of metropolis. So that'll always be fun. Those were like, those are always cool. Like, especially when you unlock them and you get there and you get that big jump of extra resources by, you know, connecting all your tunnels. And then the thing I'm probably most excited for is like legit player mats, like, like solid, decent sized ones recessed to hold your stuff. So it's not sliding all over the table. Yeah, those will be good. So <laughs> it's uh, it's looking like what I want most out of an expansion. It adds more content where it needs it, a little bit of asymmetry up front for a game that can feel a little samey once you've played it a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple small tweaks here and there, plus some component upgrades. There's not a fifth player that I'm aware of. Mm. There better not be. <laughs> and <laughs> there's no like sideboard or new mechanic to worry about, which I, honestly... It, I don't necessarily like that when a game's already so tight and clean. And this one, uh, yeah, I'm liking what they've announced so far. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. This was the upgrade that they had promised that never came to fruition. And they're like, oh, we're doing an expansion. I was like, ah, I don't want an expansion. I want better player mats. And then it looks to be that we will get the double layered player mats where your stuff will actually fit. So I'm really excited about that. And as you mentioned, a lot of new components and, you know, things to mix things up. I would really like to see something in the game with a little more player interaction. 
Now, I'm not one of those guys that needs the player interaction, and I despise that take that type of cards. Like, for example, Terraforming Mars has those take that cards, which are always kind of like really, really lame. It's like, oh, I see you have all those plants. Bam, now they're gone. And you're just like, mm-hmm. all right, I guess. It's going to take me another, you know, 15 minutes to build those plants up again, but okay. So I don't really want something punitive, so to speak, but I would like to have something a little more engaging just because I think the game would benefit by it or maybe even a global effect deck, you know, something that were just like would change certain aspects of the game for a round. I mean, those are pretty simple kind of easy additions to the game without kind of messing things up. Or again, I I guess literally I'm coming up with a whole campaign slash modular system, but maybe some story can we put some story in there can we get a rise of fenris upgrade version here where there's just something that makes kind of the world a little more cohesive i would really love that because this is a fantastic game i'm a huge fan of vladimir suchi and i would honestly rather play this than terraforming mars and that's saying a lot for me and I think this expansion will bring it up to speed where Terraforming Mars is, which it was a little bit lacking in a couple of things, like you mentioned, Anthony. But I think that, as you mentioned, a little asymmetrical kind of player starting powers and a little mix up here and there and a couple more cards. I think it will actually now stand up to Terraforming Mars. Yeah, it seems like it. So I'm excited. I hope this comes to the U.S. soon. It's for sale at Essen. So Rio Grande, hopefully already has it in their hands and will be printing it and getting it to us quickly. But yeah, this is uh, one of my most anticipated expansions for sure. Well, two games that I'm looking at are a little bit of an oddity. So first up is Titan. Now, Titan is a really interesting thing for me and Anthony because we got to see Titan in the prototype format. Now, I was going to say Titan is currently on Kickstarter, but Titan has been taken off Kickstarter They recently removed it from Kickstarter to redo some sort of the goals and the campaign. Anthony, you were a backer on this, right? No, but I was following it. I was watching it because it is very, very interesting. Like, I saw the final version of it at uh, Gen Con. I think I took some pictures and might have even posted them. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like The production on this is insane. I'm not surprised they had issues. Yeah, and I, and I I couldn't dig too deep into it, but they were saying obviously price was a big consideration, and I think people were assuming that they could get a lesser version as far as production's concerned at a hopefully cheaper price in order to make this more reasonable. Because I think it was like a hundred and twenty-two U.S. plus I don't know, it was like another eighteen dollars shipping, and that was the only pledge level you could pledge at, and people were looking for some other minor version of it, but I don't know how you don't get anything but the super deluxe model in this situation. Yeah. If you're going to get this game, get, get the one that's a centerpiece. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't think I could have backed this, especially not having played it at that price, but it certainly looks amazing. Yeah. It seems like it's just, it's space strip mining. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, I feel kind of weird about this, but it looks really cool and the pieces look great. And I think it's just like one of those games where if you don't have the total upgrade version of the game, you're probably not going to enjoy it as much like Gugan or even like Fireball Island. Like part of the game is the fact that you can visualize in this kind of 3D format what the game actually is and it plays out that way. I don't know how deep the game mechanics are as as far as the price is concerned but i think we're all pretty much agreed that we've already passed that line like we blew past that line (laughs) where a light game would come at a somewhat light price and a heavy game or an advanced or a complex game would be at a heavy and advanced price i think i remember years of you and i talking about how oh it's an expensive game and you were like yeah but you know, think about how complex the mechanics are. That must have took a long time. Like, yeah, you're right. That is, that's probably why the price is so high because it's a very complex rule set and everything you're doing, the choices and stuff. And now that's gone. Now it's completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> like tapestries out there at over a hundred dollars, which is a relatively lighter game, not light, but a relatively lighter game as far as 
the price is concerned. And this game seems light to medium, right? It's probably more on the medium side, medium light, but you know, it's not back in the day. If you got an 80 or $90 game, you're typically backing, you know, something super heavy, like it was a GMT game or a splatter. And that kind of made sense. But now, man, we are we're we're down the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. No, everything's expensive now. You've got like reprints coming out of I mean, you're going to talk about one in a minute, but reprints of like the, the Yido Deluxe. Oh, yeah. hundred bucks. That's a $40 game. hundred bucks. <laughs> Dugong with the expansion, like 130 or whatever crazy. it was. It was crazy. And that is a medium weight game for sure. I don't know, man. Like it's it's definitely going to make me buy less games if that's what they're going for. <laughs> so. Well, another thing they're doing too, which we talked about, is the problem with Kickstarter is you haven't even played the base game, but if you want the expansion, which you probably probably would want, then you got to back it all at once because maybe you don't get the expansion anytime soon, so you're stuck with the base game for way too long, or maybe the expansion doesn't come out, or maybe the expansion you get is a is a basic level and not the upgraded level, so. You have to back the base game and the expansion level. I mean, it's getting a little crazy. So let me actually talk about a little crazy situation. Madeira, Collector's Edition, and expansion is currently on Kickstarter. It's already funded. At this time of recording, there's 16 days left, which is September 24th. The campaign will wrap up on Friday, October 11th. So you do have plenty of time. Madeira is a game that has had some really good buzz for a very long time. And it's currently being produced by What's Your Game, and they do a fantastic job with their games. So everything is good here. It's a, It looks like a great Euro game, actually a fantastic looking Euro game. It's gotten good general reviews. I have unfortunately not played it, and I am trying to drag people's copies out of their dark and deep basement in order to know if this is worth backing. And no one has bitten yet, but nonetheless, it seems to be the way that old games actually get playtime these days anthony is if there's a new kickstarter for a reprint right oh my god yes no it's ridiculous like uh yido for example i've been trying to get that game to the table for three years i played it once after i got it and i have not played it since to the point where i actually just sold my copy to someone else who was very interested in it because it's on kickstarter (laughs) (laughs) Same thing happened with Brass. People couldn't get that thing played no matter how hard they tried. New version comes in. It gets played every single week. It's true. I don't know, man. It's cool. Like when it's a game you really like, I'm really hoping this happens with Suburbia because that's another game I have trouble getting to the table. And I'm getting the new version in very soon. And I'm like, this better work because I want to play this game. Well, like they say, you know, the hype is real. You may not respect the amount of hype or what they're hyping up, but Hype gets games to the table. Hype gets games played. So that's why we try to be a hype machine for really good games out there because there are some great games that deserve to be at the table and games that are probably sitting still on your shelf that really need to get there. But jumping back to Madeira. Now, Madeira, as I mentioned, has the expansion and it has this collector's kind of upgrade pack. But if you want Madeira's collector's edition, which comes with the base game, the expansion, and then now here comes all the extra stuff. 138 premium wood resources, 50 metal coins, because now literally every game needs metal coins. It also comes with the game trace storage system, which I totally agree with. It looks great if the game is great. And as I said, I will eventually drag somebody out. And yeah, so this is crazy expensive because it's a game like you mentioned, probably could find it for 40 or $50 if you can find it somewhere that, you know, They still have it available since it went out of print, but $98, $98 plus shipping. I think it's like another $13. So expensive. How? My God. How? When did it? Why? Why? Why would you do this? (laughs) No. I just, I don't even know what to do with this anymore because I was interested in the game and then I saw the price and I'm like, I can't. And if I'd played it before and maybe knew what I was getting into, but. What's really funny is that. I and, I and I never do this, but I like the Madeira Facebook page for the game. And then what they would do is it seemed like, and I'm pretty sure this is very close to truth. Every day they would post the, you know, the upcoming Kickstarter page. Like here's Madeira, the picture it's coming to Kickstarter. I'm like, Oh, okay. I remember that. And the next day they post it and they did this for weeks, weeks, multiple weeks, months. I, it, 
it just ran endless, but they never gave any more information. And maybe because they didn't know or didn't want to let people know about the price, they wanted people to go to the Kickstarter page. So if you played Madeira, let us know. If you haven't played Madeira and you're interested in a really solid production of a classic game that was a little bit of a grill game way back in the day, check it out. It is on Kickstarter. All right, Anthony, so that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's get to the games that actually got to the table with all the hype installed. My friend, what did you play this week? All right. Yes, this is a game that I got a chance to play very recently. It was very popular at Gen Con. They sold out of this one, and it's called Sierra West. This is from Board and Dice, uh, designed by Johnny Pack Canteen. And it is uh, definitely an Old West game, uh, which for better or worse, turns off a lot of people. Uh, I know some people definitely didn't want to sit down and play the game. But in general, it's a very accessible, very quick uh, game to get to the table. It's like 40 to 60 minutes. And it seems like it'll be heavier than that, uh, just mechanically speaking. So let me just walk you through real quick what it does. Because it has some cool mechanisms in it. And they're not like 100% unique, but the way they're paired together is pretty cool. So you have a player board in front of you, and it's got these little slots at the top. And Every round, you're going to draw three cards from your deck, and you're going to slot them in there, and a certain number of icons are going to show up. You're going to have a top track and a bottom track, and then you have two little workers, one for the top and one for the bottom, and on your turn, after you've slotted them all in there, you're going to move them along and get all the bonuses that are shown on those spaces. Some of them cost things if you want to take them. You can skip them sometimes if you don't want to pay the the cost, but you generally want to get the the good things that cost things are going to be you know like getting new cards and upgrading things and buying new tiles and all that um you're able to pick up new uh buildings and stuff that you can put on your player board that give you special powers you can also get bonuses like a, a donkey that gives you extra worker for part of that round and then once you finish that track you're going to move your workers up to the peaks of those cards there's like an extra action space at the very top of them and that will usually allow you to score in some way Sometimes it gets you a whole bunch of resources, but more often than not, it's trade in the resources you just gathered to move up on these different scoring tracks. Every time you move up on a scoring track, though, you also get a resource back. So you're constantly getting things and giving things, and it's just a big interconnected puzzle in which you're trying to figure out the order in which to do things, which cards to play, and how to maximize the value of like that limited amount of actions you have on your turn. The other big part of the game, though, the part that everybody sees that kind of captures the attention of the table is that you build a mountain out of cards so you have like this track that you lay down where the wagons move along and then you build a just a funneling tower of cards up to the top all face down and the goal is to move your little mountaineer which is on this board so you have three workers total up the board until you get to a face-up card and then you take a dig action to take that card into your hand so it's a deck builder but you have to go find the card, dig it up, purchase it, and get it back, right? And those cards are worth points at the end of the game, uh, depending on how many you get, but they also usually have more powerful abilities on them. So that's generally how the game flows, and it goes very quickly because you just slot everything in, you take your actions real quick, and once that mountain kind of gets cleared out, the game is over. The cool thing about the game, too, is that it comes with four different modes. So there's the Apple Hill mode, which... Basically, just it adds an extra resource to the game that everybody can use. So the apple tracks will fill up. You can spend them down to gain resources or do things with it, etc. There's a gold rush track where you're like actually going out and dynamiting the mountain and mining for gold. There's boats and banjos where you're like going down the river and you're fishing and you're doing all sorts of stuff like that. And then there's the outlaws and outposts, um, which adds several different unique mechanisms. I have not played with either this or the boats and banjos. So I can't speak to like how they work, but I've just kind of read through and they seem very interesting, like tweaks to the rules. Uh, The game is quick. Like I said, I having only played it a couple times. I can't say it almost, it never goes over an hour, but it doesn't seem like it would. I would say that it's probably better at a lower player count. The core interaction here is like the race to get stuff on the mountain. And then there is like a, a trapping ability where you can take a secondary action during someone else's turn uh, based on the icons on their cards. 
So having more players out there, I guess, would make that better. But I don't know. I I don't think it matters either way. The game gets a little longer with more players, but not a lot because you can do a lot simultaneously. The main issue with the game that I can see is that the rule book is pretty bad. So for a game that is relatively light, and I think BGG pegs it at a three, but it's almost certainly less than that. It's like a two five probably. The and the, that only takes an hour. It is unnecessarily complicated to get through this rule book. We were referencing it constantly, and sometimes the language just did not make it clear what you were supposed to do, and that's not okay, especially for a game like this. Combined with the fact you have all these modules and the rules are different for each of those modules, the way they laid it out and referenced them throughout the book was often confusing, like what applies to what. It's not impenetrable because it's not that heavy of a game, but it was surprising how many issues we had with the rulebook considering how complicated this is. So something to keep in mind. I think there are videos already to teach you how to play. So probably I would go that route, but it was an issue. Um, Overall, though, I'd give this one a solid play. I really liked the puzzle element of it. I liked the unique way you slot your cards in, kind of the deck building elements here. I like the fact that you can play the game in four different ways and kind of test and try out these different modules. Can't speak to how good each of them is, but the two that I played were pretty good. And yeah, it's got a solo mode too. Haven't tried that out yet, but it is David Turchi, so I'm sure it's great. <laughs> like, or it's at least very, very solid. And it's uh, it's the kind of game that I would absolutely overlook, I think, generally. But I'm glad I got a chance to play it, uh, especially because I think they were selling it alongside the expansion to Teotihuacan. So I definitely did not look at this when I was looking at that. So <laughs> um, yeah, Sierra West for me is a solid play worth checking out, if nothing else, because of the cool, unique mechanisms. And yeah, hopefully get a chance to try out the other three modules and I can let you guys know what I think. You mentioned the unique modules here, but the board is not just this generic kind of rectangle kind of board. It really has a lot of unique shapes that really try to be very thematic and a lot of different moving parts, like literally sliding pieces here and there in order to kind of reveal certain things and to benefit from certain things. And I really appreciate the fact that they went to that extent they could have just put tiles on top of tiles, but here they really built what seemed like a settlement and a mountain and everything. Yeah, I, I didn't mention that, but I should say the production quality in this is really good. You know, and this is like Borden Dice did this with Teotihuacan as well, where for 50 bucks, you're getting a lot of game. There's a lot of different options in here. And the production quality is really solid. The cards are good. The boards are really thick. Um, there's a lot of components in here because you have all the different ways to play through it. And it, it was an impressive package. Uh, and, and because of all that, you know, tactile nature of the components, there's not a ton of downtime either because you have things to fiddle with and play with on your turn uh, or on someone else's turn while you wait to go. So it flows really smoothly and it's nice to, to actually handle because of how much, you know, how much they've invested here. So I, I was impressed with all of that. All right. Well, let's talk about another great production here. This is Gente's deluxified edition this was recently on kickstarter and it was produced by game brewer tasty minstrel games spielworks pretty much everyone in the industry had a hand in this game it seems now this is for i guess lack of a better term a civilization game and what's interesting about this civilization game is it's not really about resources so to speak as like oh this needs lumber and it needs stone and stuff like that really what the civilization here is it needs certain types of craftspeople, professionals, mystics and such to be at a certain strength and add in time, which makes sense. And then you are in a position in which you can create technology and you're able to upgrade your civilization. Sometimes it's an altar, sometimes it's a barracks. Sometimes it's an Acropolis. But basically what's interesting about this game is, as I mentioned, you are going to have six of these different classes of people that are going to represent different professional trades and such. And you are going to raise them and lower them on their own specific track on the bottom. In fact, these six different, uh, I guess, 
upgraded super deluxe meeples are in almost a little bit of a conflict with each other. So, for example, you have a philosopher and a priestess, and they're on the same track. So you you kind of jockey back and forth which one you're trying to raise, and it makes a lot of sense. Your civilization will be rude philosophically or religiously. So on the bottom of the board, you have those little tracks. You'll move those people as such. You will pick up additional resources that will actually allow you to adjust that even a little bit more. On top, your civilization's based all on the amount of time that it invests in certain traits. You will have a number of locks on the top that will actually block off certain spots in which you could place time. But throughout the game, as you build certain technologies and certain aspects of your civilization up, those locks will disappear, giving you additional time throughout the game. As all of these different errors pass, more and more locks will pass through. But basically, the main part of the game, which is very weird and very unique, is there are these different sections of tiles. One section, as I mentioned, will upgrade these different people. One section will allow you to place down these different temples and buildings throughout the Mediterranean. One of these specialized little tiles will allow you to pick up cards, so different technologies and and different civilization and benefits that you'll be able to upgrade and meet those conditions. You'll be able to pick up money. And then, of course, you'll also be able to utilize those cards and pay off based upon the resources that you have already set on your board. There's a certain element as far as a race element trying to get the most cards completed, the most civilization people up to a certain number and such. But generally, it's all about the cards, developing all of these different aspects of your civilization. So at the start, you pick a tile, you place it down. The t- typically, the tile is going to have a cost in money and in time. You decide if you want to scrunch all the time together, which means that time will not leave anytime soon. Or you can expand the time out, but you have less actions now. So do you want less actions now or less actions later? That's kind of like the conflict there. Now, this game, as I mentioned, when you first look at it, you're like, well, where's the card action? Where's the dice action? Where's the worker placement situation? And basically, it's an action selection game with these little tiles, the time mechanic to it, and then based upon where these different civilization characters are on your own particular board. Surprisingly enough, this is really, honestly, a fantastic game. I was kind of blown away by this. I saw this game initially when it was on Kickstarter, and especially the deluxe version, I was like, well, you know, why? Why would you even need those deluxe meeples? But honestly, you are manipulating those meeples a lot in the game, and it does kind of make sense in a thematic fashion. So turning in those cards and moving those people is a lot of fun. A lot of the artwork is very primitive by design, so A lot of it does take a little getting a sense of the symbology there. But overall, Gente's, the deluxified version, and once again, another high price tag, but it's a buy for me. Wow. Cool. (laughs) That's funny. I mean, this is designed, I believe, by Stefan Risthaus, right? Yeah. So we're we're taking a look at our, uh, the great designer of Arkwright. Yes, exactly. And so I actually had this game on my shelf for not that long and not the deluxe version either. So I've got like the, the boring cardboard version, but it's been sitting there like alluring to me, like play me, play me because I love Arkwright. It's one of my favorite heavy, heavy games. And this game is kind of the next game he produced after that. And I've I've just been meaning to get at the table for so long. So you saying it's that good makes me like, okay, maybe this has to be the next one I actually learn. (laughs) Yeah, it's not as heavy as Arkwright. It's probably a medium to heavyweight game. The rules are a little obtuse. So when you look at it, as I mentioned, you're like, where are the things to do things? And it's these tiles. And these tiles have these really odd kind of like iconography. Like there's literally, you know, scratches, like cave drawings kind of situation. And yet the idea of these different actions costing different amounts of time and resources. And obviously in this situation, money, the more players you have the table, and I recommend four players. It's really challenging to get the best actions at the cheaper price 
and the cards stack up and they'll they'll score based upon their symbols so there's a lot of ways to score points and it's a lot of fun and i'm i was just really taken back by this because it doesn't look like that type of game that was really going to offer that kind of level of thematic engagement and it really does and i'm really really kind of excited about playing this game again all right yeah me too now (laughs) all right anthony so that's everything for our at the table let's get on to our feature review so for our feature review this week we are looking into how to introduce hobby games to children now drew one of our patreon backers and nice enough to drop this topic in our slack group offered this to us and we really want to help everyone become gamers especially children because there are so many different aspects of gaming that really will enrich their lives. No joking aside, I have a really seriously high-level degree, and I can provide you with the research that backs all of that up. So when we're looking at children, we're looking to engage them in making interesting decisions that really engage their cognitive processes and working on a certain level of sociological development. So Anthony, I know you picked out some really educational games, but probably also some really fun ones. And the games that we typically play are both. Is that true for here for the kids as well? Yeah, I think it's a good mix. Uh, I mean, some of these games are just like pure dumb fun and the kids love it. But some of them, a lot of them, especially for the younger age, really kind of focus on a certain area of gaming and kind of boil it down in a way that introduces ideas and concepts and just general etiquette of play to them and that I found really effective and just keeping in mind too, that I have two kids, one of them's four, one of them's eight, and they are extremely different people. So different things have worked differently for each of them, but there are some common threads that I've seen for, for both of them in terms of like what they engage with and then like specifically how they engage with that type of game, like what they get out of it. Yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff to get out of this and and the games that you picked really offer some, Great educational lessons as well. So why don't you start us off with the preschool age, ages three to four years old? Yeah, so I'm going to, this is kind of a funny one for me, because right now my preschool age child, my four-year-old daughter, she actually plays a bit heavier games. (laughs) Like she plays up to the level of my eight-year-old and maybe doesn't fully understand what she's doing, but she wants to play everything we're playing. So the stuff I'm going to talk about the rest of this list, she also plays all of those. And some of them she plays fairly well but the games that i feel like she gets the most out of in terms of learning the basic concepts of gaming and the games that i saw my son get the most out of at that age that that's what i want to talk about here so the first of these and i think i might even have mentioned this when we did like our our top children's game list like two or three years ago is i found it and specifically the busy town edition of this which is this massive sprawling board and this has been re-themed in a bunch of different things. There's like a Disney version and a Marvel version, all sorts of stuff, depending on like what your kids like. But the basic idea is it's a spin and move. And there's a mechanic where if you land on a certain part of the spinning rondelle thing, you then have a certain amount of time to search on this very big sprawling board with all this little artwork in it for certain things, right? And it just keeps the kids really engaged. Uh, in a way like a, a normal roll and write doesn't. And it's semi-cooperative as well. Like you're all trying to get to the end together, even though you're kind of racing to get there. So they can get the fun part of like, I'm competing with somebody, but you don't get that immediate downfall of I'm losing to somebody, <laughs> which happens in a lot of these highly competitive games. Uh, and it's tough with a three or four year old. Like if they get upset, it's hard to bring them back. So you don't want them to get so discouraged. And like, I'm I'm big on like, allowing competition and letting the kids understand that but you also don't want to just like destroy a child in a board game (laughs) they're not going to play with you anymore if you do that even if it's accidental so i found it's been really good both my kids really like it Uh, our copies thoroughly destroyed at this point uh the next one uh, and this game is also thoroughly destroyed this is how you know they're good is robot turtles so this was a really early kickstarter like it the box actually says top kickstarter board game of all time so you know that it's old because we know that many other games have made much more money than that sense but the idea here is like teaching kids some basic programming skills so you put a turtle on the board it's this big grid and then you put like a gem somewhere else on the board and you put a bunch of obstacles in the way 
And what they try to do is play cards in a sequence and the cards will be like, go forward, go left, go right, jump, melt something and get the turtle to that thing. And depending on their age, you can have them play like one or two cards at a time. Or if they're a little bit older, you can have them play 10 cards at a time. And as the grown up in this, you're kind of just facilitating and you can play too. Like I play, my daughter usually makes me play with her, but really you're just facilitating and like running the turtles, moving them along the path and showing them, okay, well, if you get to this point, think about what your options are and how to get there. And it's basically just teaching them how to think ahead and make plans and try to figure out the most efficient way to do a thing, but also to keep those items in their head as they do it. And it's, it's been really good, uh, especially for my daughter who likes puzzles a lot. So this is, gives her a fun way to kind of challenge herself and like, all right, this time do six cards. Now this time do seven cards. And she's just progressively getting better. And it really helps her, you know, feel good about herself while having fun. And then the last one is don't break the ice. And this could have been like any number of dexterity games. Like there are a lot of them that the kids like, but this is the one that's easiest for them to play. So you get a hammer, you bang the ice, and you try not to be the one to knock the piece down. It's like, I think we have the frozen version for her. But the the idea being that your physical actions impact the space and you need to think ahead before you just go just assaulting it right and so other games like we have you know goat cuckoo which is like the laying the eggs onto the the little things in the tin we have loop and chewy uh which is pretty good but a lot of these are a little more difficult at that age like it takes a little bit more dexterity than they actually have whereas this one is just like bang the thing and see what happens don't do that, right? <laughs> so um, it's a pretty good one to help them pick that up. I think she's starting to grow out of it a little, but it is a good one. And an old one. This is one I had when I was a kid too. So there's some good preschool games for you and like why I like them for my kids. Nice. And obviously they're teaching some very good lessons there that you probably not think about, as you mentioned, when you even don't break the ice a little bit as far as trying to think ahead and how everything kind of connects together and not just smashing's fun. <laughs> <laughs> which is usually, <Yeah. laughs> usually how I play those games. But uh, it's good that kids can think beyond that. All right, Anthony, so what do you have for maybe young children, five to seven years old? Does that change a little bit? Yeah, so this is where I found you can actually start introducing hobby games. And again, I'm like super generalizing. Like I see people post where like my four-year-old's playing, you know, Caverna or whatever, you know, and awesome. That's amazing. I'm really glad. But not every kid can do that. And I don't really know where my kids sit on the spectrum. I figure probably the middle between the two of them. But in my experience, what I've seen is this is where I could start introducing things that maybe are a little bit more complicated. We tweak the rules a little bit. We make it work for them. Uh, and one of the first ones of that for me was King of Tokyo, where my son is all about the monsters and attacking everything and the artwork on the cards before he could learn to read and all that stuff. And the Yahtzee mechanism he got when he was five years old. Like that was something I could introduce to him. My daughter gets it now too, as well. The power-up cards are something that I've just kind of phased in over time. Like at first when he, I feel like he could understand the mechanisms of it, I would read them for him. And now that he can read himself, he just has his own hand of cards and we play the game for, in the full sense, right? And he's eight now, so it's kind of aged out of this category. But King of Tokyo is a really good one, I think, because... The theme really captures them. It's very cartoony. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. You get to break things. And there's just like layers of complexity you can add to it, just out of the base box even. The next one that I really like for them is Labyrinth. This is uh, like an older game that has been reskinned a whole bunch of times. I think we just saw like a Harry Potter version at the game store the other day. But essentially what you have is a big board with some pieces that are fixed in place and then a bunch of tiles that you slide into rows and columns. And on your turn, you're going to take a tile. There's always one tile off the board. You're going to slide it into one of those rows and columns, and it moves all the chambers and rows in the labyrinth, right? And then you try to move your wizard down a path and capture one of the different items that are listed on the board representing the cards that you have. So it's super puzzly for that age, especially, where you're trying to figure out the best path to get somewhere and like which piece you need to move and how you need to move it. 
at this point, I think he's probably better than me at this game. So like my brain is like, I, I can't quite, like, I got to move that to the left and this to the right and that to the left. And he moved it. Ah, crud. So this one scales really well for ages. It's mechanically, obviously, you're just pushing a tile in and seeing what happens. But there's a lot of thinking that goes in here. And it's really solid, especially considering there's all these different themes if you want to try different versions. And then the last one here, I wanted to mention a couple of games real quick for the same reason. Um, the first is Stuffed Fables, which is a great storytelling game. It's got the miniatures. It's got the dice mechanic, which is relatively easy to teach the kids. And then the other one, was, which my kids love even more, is No Thank You Evil, which is a role-playing game designed specifically for kids around this age. I think the box is five and up. And it's very, very streamlined basic rules. You have like little tokens and icons that you use to represent your resources and abilities the kids get you know a character they get a pet that goes with them and there's only like two or i think there's three adventures out of the box but it's pretty easy to just make them up you know as you go you're playing with children my kids absolutely loved this game and to the point where i picked up all the extra stuff at gen con it's a really good easy way to introduce role-playing games if you want to do that and it it's such a low barrier to entry. Like as a parent, quote unquote, GMing this, it only takes maybe five or 10 minutes to read through the whole adventure and just prepare for it. And then you get to give them fun little, you know, questions and quests and you can just make stuff up and throw it in there, whatever you want to do. There's a lot to go on here. And it's just a cute, fun, accessible way to learn more about role-playing games. And for my son, especially, who kept looking at like the D&D books on the shelf and wanting to get into that, this was a really good way to start. Nice. There's a lot of different types of games there. And obviously, knowing your children, there is a lot of different aspects that they can kind of get involved in. Like you said, an RPG, a dice rolling game, a, a little bit more of a strategy game, and even a campaign game. So a lot of great choices there. All right, let's wrap up with maybe a little bit of the older children. So straight up kids, ages eight to 10. What do you got? I think when you get to this age, it 100% depends on your kids. But especially around eight, you can just dive in with the gateway games uh, and whichever ones you like. Honestly, I've found that Ticket to Ride works really well. Like kids both like it. It's very simple. They get the idea behind it. My son right around time he turned eight kind of finally figured out how the tickets and the routes worked and so we can play the game in full now although he's a little impatient so we tend to play like the shorter versions <laughs> new york or london but the the idea here is, is very straightforward you just draw cards play cards move put down trains um his friends really like it as well we've actually gotten this as a gift once or twice from people <laughs> who don't realize we are a board nice. game family and we've given it as a gift so it is a, a game that floats around between the parents around here. So that's a really good one. Uh, King Domino is another really good gateway that the kids really enjoy. And again, like layers of complexity here. The basics of this game, my four-year-old has down pat. She understands it. I pick a tile, I try to match it to what I have. It's got to stay within this shape that I'm trying to build. Done. She's got it. She's actually beaten us a couple times, right? But then you throw in things like, all right, it needs to be the five by five grid or... Here are the extra scoring tiles. Here are the giants that come with the expansion. Even Queen Domino, adding a little bit more complexity, uh, has been really good for the um, for my son, who's a little bit older. And then finally, uh, I, I'm going to say Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters, but then you can also even go to Pandemic, depending on how much challenge your kids want and can handle. Um, Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters has been fantastic. The kids really, really enjoy it. There's an expansion now. There's like extra bonus stuff. You can make it more challenging, but it's still a fairly easy game that we don't generally lose that often. So if the kids start to get bored with it, I found that Pandemic is a good next step. And it's not a game I generally play with other people because it's kind of just a mechanic in a box at this point, but it works really well with kids because it's just a mechanic in a box, right? <laughs> like This is what we're doing. This is your role. Let's go. Let's solve the puzzle. And then he really dives into that. And it just kind of opens up new avenues of thinking and in in a way where you can challenge them to a high level but it's cooperative so you're not like beating them in the process so I, all three of those are good ones and uh, have really resonated well with with my older kid all right so that's everything for this episode until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save your children a seat at the table 
You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.